0: You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com/slash Blazing Caribou Studios. Hello, and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, I'm your co host, and I'm not an animal expert.
1: I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. Just a reminder to go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to the audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at the Varmints Podcast, all one word, and at VarmintsPodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. Send those chicken recipes, people. Come on. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes Stitch or leave us a nice little rating and uh, maybe a, re- a review, and we really appreciate all of that. This week, instead of our news segment, we're going to mix it up a little bit and have a chat with our very first guest, who also happens to be an animal
0: expert. Yeah! Yay! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs>
1: Dr. Seth Magley is the director of the Urban Wildlife Institute at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Welcome to the show, Seth.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. I'm happy to be here.
1: So for our listeners, why don't you just briefly explain what it is that you do over there at the zoo?
2: Yeah, so I direct a research center called the Urban Wildlife Institute, and we study all different kinds of animals that live in cities and in other kinds of urban areas. And we do that with the eventual goal of trying to reduce conflict between humans and wildlife. Is it working? Well, you know, reducing conflict between humans and wildlife on the whole planet is a pretty big job. So I would say that yes, there are some some positive signs that our work is being used by people and is starting to help make cities a friendlier place for for wildlife, but of course it's a pretty big task.
0: Yeah, it is. So over here in Florida, we we are very far away from prairie dogs. We don't see them except on, you know, television and YouTube videos and that kind of thing. What are like the main complaints? problems that people have with prairie dogs.
2: Yeah well first of all you guys don't have prairie dogs but you do have the burrowing owls who use the prairie dog burrows and then come down your way uh, in the winter so that's kind of cool. But the main complaint, so I mostly work in urban areas where people are mostly worried about prairie dogs ripping up their yards, ripping up their landscaping. Some people are concerned about plague which prairie dogs do contract and can in very rare circumstances transmit to people. Uh, But really where Prairie Dogs got a bad rep was out in more rural and agricultural areas where ranchers and farmers just hate them.
0: Well, how are they interfering with ranchers and uh, farmers?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. There's been this perception that the prairie dogs compete with cattle for forage. The prairie dogs do really reduce the height of the vegetation around where they are. They eat a lot of grass. So that's been the the central idea is that they eat all the grass that the that the cows and things should eat. But actually, when people have done research, they've found that if you give cattle a choice of where to graze, they actually prefer to graze on prairie dog colonies. And the thinking is that's because Prairie dogs keep the vegetation in this uh, younger state, and it's more nutritious, even though there's less of it. Another thing that people talk about a lot is the notion that cows and and horses and other livestock will actually break their legs by stepping into the burrows. The people I know who tried to look into that couldn't find any evidence that it actually ever happens. But nonetheless, there's this perception uh, that that could happen.
0: So a farmer Knows a farmer who knows a farmer who knows a farmer who lost a cow because it broke its leg in a prairie dog hole, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, the guy I talked to who set out to study it had pretty much literally that happen, where he went around to these communities and everyone he talked to said, well, it's never happened to me, but talk to, you know, Ted down the road. And he said he kept this up for like three days and he never actually got to the end of the rabbit hole of finding the person who this had actually happened. <laughs>
1: oh
2: my <gosh>.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> animal telephone yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so um, if I remember correctly Seth you did your dissertation on prairie dogs is that the case
2: that's right yeah I did my dissertation on prairie dogs in in Denver and in Boulder um, and I was really looking at prairie dogs that live in the city in these uh, vacant lots and things just surrounded right. by buildings and roads
1: right so what got you interested in that as a doctoral uh, dissertation
2: Actually, the, the convoluted series of events that led me to become the Prairie Dog Whisperer were all born out of laziness. Um, <laughs> I, had this, I was taking a class on animal behavior, and I had to watch an animal for a while and write down some things about it. And at the time, where I was living in Boulder, Colorado, there were prairie dogs living across the street from my apartment. So <laughs> I thought, oh, this will be really easy. I don't have to go find them. I know where they are. I can kind of see them from like my deck. So I wrote this little project and I turned it in, but then it sort of just snowballed because when I went to the library to research this paper I had to turn in, I had a lot of trouble writing this paper because I found out that no one knew anything about City Prairie dogs. No one had ever studied them in any way. So I really had no research on and I found this frustrating. So as a result, I sort of kept investigating these prairie dogs, and it eventually turned into a master's project, it turned into a PhD dissertation, uh, really all because of that one really lazy decision that I made.
0: Well, you might call it lazy, I call it smart. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) There's a fine line between the two.
1: (laughs) Well, on our uh, squirrels show, we talked about how squirrels came to the cities, and uh, people actually brought them there. and. So the whole topic about urban wildlife in general sort of brought you to mind, and since we're talking about prairie dogs, we're super glad to have you here. So what do you think the number one thing that people get absolutely wrong about prairie dogs is? What's the biggest misconception? You mentioned the plague thing. Is that it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I actually already brought up most of them. There's the notion that they consume all these plants that that livestock could consume. There's the notion that a lot of animals break their legs in the burrows, Um, and then the plague thing, which we really didn't talk about in as much detail, but I think people really think that prairie dogs create like this cloud of plague that moves across the landscape, but that's not how plague works. To get plague from prairie dog, you have to get their fleas onto your body and then the fleas have to bite you. So Um. if you're not actually handling dead prairie dogs, your odds of getting plague are are almost zero. Now, I wouldn't, if you have a dog, I wouldn't let your dog run around in a prairie dog colony because they may pick up a dead one, get fleas, come home. That's one way that it could happen. But really, if you're taking any sort of reasonable precautions, I think people should not be particularly concerned about getting plagued. Excellent.
0: Excellent. And when you say plague, you're talking about like the plague, like medieval times killing people type of plague.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's sylvatic plague. It's the exact same uh, bacterium that, that caused all those deaths uh, in Europe back then. And it's really pretty tragic when it hits these prairie dog colonies because they didn't evolve with this with this disease. It evolved In Europe and Asia and so they have no resistance to it and when it hits a colony usually within a few days all of the prairie dogs on that colony are dead Uh, which is another reason that I think the concerns about humans contracting the disease are are pretty overblown because when prairie dogs get it they have it for a very short period and then they all die it's a real problem for their population as a whole because uh, it really just wipes them out very quickly
1: so what is the biggest thing that you think is interesting about them when you started studying about them that you were like oh That's
2: really cool. Well, I know you guys do intelligence ratings, and I think, Donna, you're going to talk about communication later, but I think people really don't understand how smart these guys are. I think, I believe they might be the smartest rodents on the planet. I could be mistaken about that, but they're they're really incredibly intelligent creatures. They have this very complex alarm call behavior that can warn about all different things relating to threats what kind of threat it is how quickly it's coming they can differentiate between a human that has a gun and a human that doesn't have a gun Um, they have different calls for snakes they have different calls for hawks no way Um, dude but their burrows are also really cool. That's a whole other thing we could talk about. They have these very complex burrowing systems. And one of the things I think that's so cool about their burrows is that not only does it make a home for them, it makes a home for a lot of other species. So snakes live down there. I've seen rabbits use these holes. As I said, burrowing owls will hang out on prairie dog colonies. So prairie dogs are what we call ecosystem engineers, kind of like beavers. They transform their environment. And by doing that, they actually create a place for all different kinds of other species too.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. We're going to talk about all of those prairie dog awesome things uh, in just a moment.
0: All right, yeah, let's, uh, let's learn about prairie dogs.
1: The kingdom of animals is fascinating. Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living pattern. So come on. What in God's holy name are you blathering about?
0: We are blathering about prairie dogs today, and I feel like... A kid in sixth grade who's giving his book report in front of the class with a teacher watching. <laughs> and Seth, I want you to just <laughs> jump in anytime with anything you have. If we're wrong about something, if there's something we missed, you can just chime right in, okay?
2: I will be happy to be really annoying about it.
0: No, please, <laughs> be annoying. It's awesome. It's not very often. This, this is the first time we've had an animal expert on, so this is really, really cool. Really nerve-wracking, but really cool.
1: Uh, But also cool, Paul, because he, like, totally mentioned all of the things that we're going to talk about today is why they're really cool. (laughs) Yep. Which makes us also really cool.
0: Uh, Fair enough. (laughs) 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 All right, prairie dogs. Prairie dogs are burrowing rodents native to the grasslands of North America. They are indeed not a dog. They are a type of ground squirrel found in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. There are five species of them, and despite the name, like I said, they're not dogs at all. They got their name because uh, of their habitat and their warning call, which kind of sounds like a really small dog barking, uh, I guess, to, for lack of a better thing. I'm really nervous. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Here's their barking. Right. We'll learn maybe what that bark means in a couple minutes here. Uh, They're about 12 to 16 inches long. They weigh between one and two pounds. And uh, if you have tree squirrels where you live like I do, just picture one of those, except maybe a little longer, a little more round and no bushy tail. And that's pretty much a prairie dog and not in a tree either.
1: Yeah, they live on the ground. So one of the coolest things that I found out was Seth talked about earlier. They have a language. Um, I heard about this first time on the radio lab. Um, show But it turns out they have different warning calls That represent all the different things That are in their environment Like predators and stuff Do you remember on our chickens episode Where to understand the chicken calls You have to kind of have a deep familiarity With chickens to know what they're saying like, To us it just sounds like click 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 It's sort of the same thing with prairie dogs They've got their I mean it sounds pretty similar to us But if you run their voices into a computer program You can tell their little ears are evolved to detect this range of sounds that we can't hear in their little chirrups. And they can see, basically they found out they can see individual differences between the type of animal that's coming after them. Like, Oh, there's a coyote in the colony. Oh, there's a hawk. Look out. But even more weird, they can tell the difference between humans. They seem to have chirrups that mean like fat, skinny, tall. They can tell color differences. The human in blue with a gun and a hat. They can literally say that.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: I know. Here comes the fat blue human.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is nuts.
1: Yeah. yeah, it is completely nuts. They're super, super smart.
0: And as Seth mentioned a few minutes ago, I I was going to talk about their underground burrows, which I found pretty cool. Uh, They can range in size, but they're basically little chambers that are connected by tunnels. They dig them out, they spend a lot of time building and rebuilding these little burrows that can have nurseries or listening posts, uh, sleeping quarters, even bathrooms. Some species of prairie dog build underground towns, which are huge. The largest recorded prairie dog town covered some 25,000 square miles and was home to about 400 million prairie dogs, and that was in Texas. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, there was a news article that said the, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Biologists just completed a survey that found that there was a prairie dog town that was scattered across more than 500,000 acres. So about wow. 800, 800 square mile prairie dog town.
1: An 800 square mile prairie dog burrow town?
0: That was twice what? as much habitat as they expected. No way, man. <laughs> No way, dude. Ah, Way. Now, the thing that I was thinking of, because I don't know anything about prairie dogs, is if those burrows go so deep and so far into the ground and they're so extensive, how do they get fresh air down there? And the answer to that winds up being pretty fascinating, and it has to do with the position and the shape of their burrow opening. That helps the air flow into the burrows and keeps things ventilated. So what the prairie dogs will do is they'll they'll build an elevated opening that's kind of upwind and a lower opening that's downwind. And so over the elevated opening, the wind velocity is a little bit faster than it is over the lower opening. And that creates a local region of low pressure. And the, the result of this difference in pressure between the two openings is airflow. It's air going in one hole and coming out the other. So even oh, deep wow. down in those burrows, they're getting ventilation.
1: So prairie dogs are doing math.
0: <laughs> yeah. They also use those little mounds around the burrow openings to kind of serve as lookouts. And and uh, it's kind of like a perch to watch out for predators.
1: That is a lot going on. You know, you pass these little prairie dog colonies in Denver all the time. They're everywhere. You know, they're like the medians in traffic. Often they'll have a little thing built there. And so I imagine probably the tunnels go from that to like all the way under the road and over to the other side. Right, Seth?
2: Yeah, sometimes they can. Um, More often, prairie dogs will try to cross roads overland. And that, uh, as you've probably seen, is not something they're very good at. They get hit by cars a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about that on our squirrels episode. Squirrels get to tend to get hit by cars a lot. And my idea is that it's just you know, cars are just not something that they evolved to manage, you know?
0: <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly right.
1: <laughs> well, that's it's kind of a downer, dude.
0: It's disclaimer time. The Varmint's podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then we only really have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. When we did squirrels, I gave the squirrels on a scale of 1 to 10, I gave them a 3, and then I kind of like reconsidered that, and so I kind of gave prairie dogs a 5, but now I'm thinking that even that's probably a little bit low.
1: I'm thinking 7 or 8. I'd put them 6 or 7. Yeah, 6, 7, or 8. I mean, the math that you have to do to get the air into the prairie dog town, that's pretty... I mean, it's not like they're pulling out a slide rule or anything, but you
0: know, what I, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're little prairie dog-sized engineering calculators.
1: Yeah, they're just like, okay, so let's see. If the wind's coming in this direction.
0: <laughs> what do you think, Seth?
2: Well, I kind of want to tell a story. Is that okay? Can I tell a yeah, story? do it. So when I was trapping prairie dogs to put radio collars and stuff on them, I trapped this one one time. And when I let her go, I noticed something funny, which was that she wasn't moving her back legs at all. And I felt terrible because I thought maybe something happened while I was catching her that she got paralyzed or something. I didn't know, but it was too late. I'd let her go. Anyway, I came back to that colony a year later and I was trapping prairie dogs and I caught her again and she had no muscle tone in her back legs. They had basically withered, but she was otherwise fine. She was well nourished. So this prairie dog survived somehow for a year without any use of her back legs. Wow. I don't really do that without being pretty clever. So uh, yeah, I would say somewhere in the in the seven range. As I said, I think they're probably the smartest road. Holy cow,
0: well, yeah, you're the expert. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're really cool, I like them a lot. And we haven't even talked about how cute they are. <laughs> ah! <laughs> they are, they're so cute. All
0: right, we are gonna talk about uh, a couple of other things Maybe a little pop culture, maybe a little, some little animal facts of the week, some other stuff. I'm still nervous. Here's a commercial. Sean Burns and I, Kiri Sims, bring you The Occasional Show, released
2: every Friday to your podcatcher. We usually have some random topics that don't always fit our other podcast formats. So on this podcast, we cover the in-depth interviews, pop culture, and dare I say, politics, all with an open format to talk about whatever fits the occasion. You can download us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and on occasion catch us on YouTube. So catch us each week and come hang out with The Occasional Show.
0: And now for something completely different. Hey, you know, me and Donna, and probably Seth, too, we're a bunch of nerds just like you, and we don't see animals up close and in person very often, except Seth does because he works at a zoo. So let's talk a little bit about where we see them most of the time, on movies, TV, and video games, and there is not much for the prairie dog. They are not uh, very common in books, or movies, or TV, or video games, or anything except one viral YouTube clip called Dramatic Prairie Dog, where that song plays and a little prairie dog looks back over its shoulder in a very dramatic fashion funny every single time. I've probably watched that video 200 times and laughed every time.
1: <laughs> yeah, they don't really, um, there's just not a lot out there. I found like, I found a, a, a jazz, I'm trying to figure out what kind of music it is. It, it's kind of, it's like a weird jazz artist that did a song called Prairie Dog and now, now I can't even remember the name of the artist, see, that's how much about a prairie dog it is. I was like, <laughs> like, what? Prairie dog? Anyway, it's just a piano piece, it's like a jazzy piano piece, and like, okay, that's a prairie dog piece, okay, alright. If you say so, was was kind of what I figured. But anyway, so what we what we kind of default to if we can't find a lot of pop culture is people that have whatever the animal is as a pet. And there are a lot of people that like to have prairie dogs as pets, and it just seems like... I don't know. What do you think, Seth? It seems like not a good idea to me, but...
2: Totally agree. I I generally am against the notion of anyone having a wild animal as a pet. It usually doesn't end well for the people or the animals involved. Um, But obviously, there are people who have prairie dogs as pets and seem pretty happy. I think what makes me so nervous about it is, A, as we just talked about, prairie dogs are incredibly social animals. And I have Mm -hmm. trouble imagining that they're very happy not being around a lot of other prairie dogs and not being able to dig and burrow. That's the other central thing they do. They dig and burrow. So unless you have them in your backyard digging and burrowing, um, they're probably not able to do that either. So I I can't really give a strong recommendation to it, but I do know it's a thing that that people do.
1: Yeah, I've seen, I have seen a couple of videos of prairie dogs as pets uh, while I was doing research for this show and. They're all really fat. They just they they are the fattest prairie dogs in the universe. Like they just feed them the wrong stuff and they don't get enough exercise. And I just can't imagine that they're not lonely. And you know, I don't know. Just doesn't seem like a great idea to me. What do you think, Paul?
0: Yeah, leave the little prairie dogs out in the prairie. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just just they're good where they're at.
1: They're really good at being prairie dogs, and they need to be around other pea dogs, and they need to, to they need to say, hey, here comes the big, fat, blue human hey!
0: <laughs> I like to eat! Oh, hey, I like to eat, too. Uh, hey, we ask this on every podcast, and we're going to ask you, Seth, uh, prairie dogs. Would you ever, or have you ever, eaten prairie dog? I haven't,
2: and uh, gosh, I would have to be really, really hungry I think I read that there were some uh, tribes of Native Americans that would eat prairie dogs. I can't imagine they'd be very tasty.
0: Well, I have a article from the Chicago Tribune. One of their writers went out to Montana. He was a hunter and he never, he did not like the idea of seeing these videos of people going on prairie dog hunts, which were pretty much just target practice. People would just shoot the prairie dog and leave it there. And he wanted to find out is there anybody eating prairie dog and he went out to Montana and found these people that were actually hunting prairie dogs and eating them and he said they were delicious
2: interesting yeah I've definitely seen some of those prairie dog um shoots and hunts actually I saw some in Montana but nobody that I saw was was eating them
0: no it's it's hard to even call that hunting what they're doing I just call it target practice
2: yeah, that is essentially what it is, and um, people get really into it. There are groups here in Colorado that get very excited to go do prairie dog shoots. It's not something that I would do, but there are definitely people who enjoy that.
1: Yep, yeah, I I don't know if I would eat one. I, I'm gonna come out as being anti-prairie dog shoot just publicly. I have no shame about that. That's don't do that. And I don't I don't care if you don't like me.
0: So. I don't think that fits our definition of being nice to animals.
1: Yeah, we have that whole thing where be nice to animals Yeah, it's not being nice. Anyway. Uh no, I wouldn't eat a prairie dog and I don't know. It's just I'm gonna have to put it under the category of my regular, just not food. I look at it and I
0: don't <laughs> say that's food. You have so. two boxes: food and not food, and they're in that. Food
1: thing. and not food. They're in the not food box.
0: I have a food and not food, and, and then like a middle maybe box, and they're kind of. You have of a maybe, maybe box.
1: Yeah. See, I kind of feel like for me, I can be a thing or not immediately, just for myself. I don't, not for other people, just for myself. Not food. Like onions are not food. (laughs) Bell peppers are not food. I don't know why you people are eating them.
0: (laughs) Hey, Donna and Seth. Yes. Are your brains repositories of useless information like mine is? Usually. Usually? What about you, Seth?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a doctorate. There's a ton of useless stuff in here.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Well, let's help the listeners win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the animal fact of the week.
1: Okay, so I wanted to talk about um, prairie dogs are what is considered a keystone species because their colonies create islands of habitats that benefit approximately 150 other species. Um, And Seth can talk about what what that means. But they're a food source for many animals. They feed coyotes, eagles, badgers, and also critically endangered black-footed ferrets. Many species like black-footed ferrets and tiger salamanders use their burrows as homes. Prairie dogs even help aerate and fertilize the soil, which we haven't talked about at all allowing greater diversity of plants to thrive. So basically, a keystone species is one that benefits a whole ton of other species. And prairie dogs are one. So why don't we have Seth talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, they definitely do all the cool things that Donna just said, and then something else that is maybe obvious, but a lot of stuff eats them. So they're, they're incredibly beneficial because they're really prevalent on the landscape, and um, everything that eats meat, basically, will try to eat prairie dogs. One study that I did fairly recently that I thought was pretty cool, I was looking at coyotes, and I was looking at coyotes that come into conflict with people. What we found is that in the area of prairie dog colonies, coyotes are less likely to attack people's pets. And my hypothesis is that it's because if you have plenty of prairie dogs to eat, if you're a coyote, you don't need to go after Fluffy. So another little benefit maybe that the prairie dogs are providing
1: for us. Yeah, and that's really cool. So If a prairie dog colony, if prairie dogs go extinct, let's just go that far. If prairie dogs go extinct, do other animals starve?
2: Yeah, I mean, so you mentioned the black-footed ferret. All black-footed ferrets eat is prairie dogs. So if we lose the prairie dogs, we will lose the black-footed ferret. That's just a given. And then a number of other species that are fairly dependent on them, like burrowing owls, they're going to have a tough time too. So yeah, we absolutely need prairie dogs to help protect a number of other species.
1: So it's not even just in your area like you were saying with burrowing owls they do they migrate burrowing owls yeah they do okay so if they lose prairie dogs in one area then they don't have anywhere to live when they visit that place and
2: that's right that
1: could be a problem so
2: it interrupts they everything are the most adorable owl that there is so you guys should definitely do a burrowing owl show they are like the cutest things
0: Yeah, we have them here in Florida. They're adorable. And that um, news article I mentioned earlier about that huge prairie dog town that they found in Colorado, that's what the the, uh, article basically said was that that was really good news because there are so many species that are dependent on that prairie dog uh, to survive, especially that ferret. I think the the article said that the black-footed ferret was the most endangered species in the entire United States yeah that's that right and i have right.
2: colleagues who I have colleagues that study them um and they're they are absolute prairie dog specialists they are prairie dog ninjas and in the programs where they um raise them to be released into into the wild it's pretty interesting because their final test that the ferrets have to take before they will let them out in the wild is to kill and eat a, a prairie dog so they they release them into these prairie dog colonies and for a little while the ferrets i guess sort of try to live with the prairie dogs like they're their friends and then at some point they sort of look up and go oh wait you look tasty And then they're ready for put out in the world.
1: They're frenemies. (laughs) They're nature's frenemies. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's really cool. So people should be more pro prairie dog, in my opinion. Um, And uh, I have to say, I before I talked with Seth about all this, I had the same misconceptions about prairie dogs as most other people do, with the whole plague thing and the whole and a lot of. The stuff that farmers say, because I come from a family that, that does a lot of that. Um, so I was really happy to learn that we actually really do need these species. They're super important keystone species. That's Matt animal fact. Hey, Seth, why don't you tell us how we can get involved in citizen science with your program over there at the zoo? Yeah,
2: so these days I study animals that live all across the city of Chicago. We have millions of pictures of them from motion-triggered cameras, but we need help from the public to figure out what animals they are and and where they live. So if you go to chicagowildlifewatch.org, within about five seconds, you'll be looking at pictures of animals. You can help us identify what kind of animal it is, and you'll be contributing to a huge project that's trying to understand how we can live with wildlife all around the world.
1: And I do this every day. I do it on the toilet. So can you <laughs> just bring your phone and identify critters. You know, everybody has toilet time gaming. Well, this is my toilet time gaming. Uh, you you anyway, you get in there and it's really easy. The system shows you how to identify the animals. It's very, very easy and very fast. And so I just get in there and like if I'm on a bus, if I'm in the line at the grocery store, I just log life watching. I have it on just a link on my phone, and I get in there and I identify some animals, and then I leave, and it's really fun.
0: That is fantastic. Yeah, we'll put all that information at our show notes at uh, blazingcariboustudios dot slash prairie dogs this week. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. How can people get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, just shoot me an email if you have any questions about the work that we are doing now or that we've done before with Prairie Dogs, and you can write me at smagle at lpzoo.org.
0: Awesome. Yay! Thanks, Seth. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, The music in this episode was by Kevin McLeod, and technical support by Matthew Chomo, who came through with us at the last minute. And uh, boy, without him, this episode would not have happened today because we had a lot of problems Hey, this is our Rugrat spot that we do now, and uh, this is Donna's niece, Aurelia, and here's what she thought of prairie dogs.
2: What do you think of prairie dogs?
1: They're beautiful.
2: Yeah? What do you think they eat?
1: Um, doggy bones. Prairie dogs eat doggy bones? Yeah. What do you think they sound like? Um, woof, woof.
0: Thanks again for listening, everybody, and until next time.
1: Be nice to animals
0: You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Blazing Caribou Studios.